Hello, Spacers from Austin, Texas. I'm Mr. Schmidt. On today's show, I'm joined with Ceci Korea, a co-producer of the Refresh Austin Meetup. She's also a former web product manager and now full-time coder. And that's the part I really wanted to talk to her today about was a transition between being a manager to just coding full-time as a profession. But before we get started, some notes on where I'll be and some words from our sponsors. CSS DevConf 2016, the Alamo, is taking place this October 17th and 18th in San Antonio, Texas. Learn more about workflows, CS, SVG, animations, React.js, and a whole bunch more, along with hanging out with Chris Coyer, Jen Simmons, Snook, Trent Walton, and many, many, many more at cssdevconf.com. Again, cssdevconf.com for tickets and registration and more information this October 17th and 18th. Set it and forget it with the Non-Breaking Space Show newsletter. Whenever a new episode is ready, have it delivered straight to your inbox by setting up at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. Find show notes and links at nonbreakingspace.tv. Be sure to follow me on the Twitters at Teleject, T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T. As always, thank you for subscribing, liking, and telling others about the Non-Breaking Space Show on iTunes. Now, on with the non-breaking space. So it's your your first name is Cece. No, Ceci? Yes. Ceci's the last one, right? That's good. Yes. Great. I am going to, please forgive me. No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then most, I say, people, most people get it wrong. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then my last name is Korea. Korea? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, your your patience is is uh, humbly uh, <laughs> uh, accepted and uh, and asked for. Well, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And um, I just want to just kick it off and see um, where you are right now. Like, what is your like? What, what's your position right now for work? And 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 what's your day to day like? What, what does that mean day to day? Cool. Um, so right now I work um, at Return Path. Uh, specifically, I work for a product called Context.io, which is an API that lets you um, sort of like interface with email. So it kind of abstracts all of the weird protocols out there. Like right now, if you want to connect to an email account, you have to do really, you have to use really old protocols like IMAP and stuff like that. So we essentially created an API that just makes it easy for people to be able to interact with an email account instead of having to like do it with all these old old protocols. We just have a very very easy API that people can use. Um, so part of part of what I do in my my current position is help developers with their integration of Context.io. So um, I get to troubleshoot a lot of code. <laughs> And a lot of just like questions like, hey, why isn't this working? And it's like, oh, because I don't know, uh, you're missed a param or something, stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's pretty neat. Yeah. Well, yeah, so that's it's a pretty cool idea. I like the idea because uh, it is painful to deal with email and to be able to just yeah. have an API just to, to reach out there. What type of, uh, I guess, clients or like someone would. Why would someone want to uh, API with an email? I guess I, I understand it's really cool technology. I just what kind of examples like 
generic. No, yeah, I totally get it, and I actually think it's really interesting because a long, long time ago, uh, email was kind of like the primary like way of communication, like for businesses and for people too. Like you know, if it was digital, you know, before before texting and messaging became so prevalent, and then now with uh, it's almost like email is like a second class citizen, but there's still a lot of very rich data. So, for example, um, CRMs tend to really like us because, you know, you can get, you know, contact information or you can manage like, okay, who did I email today? So from that perspective, CRMs um, tend to like Context.io a lot. But uh, there's a lot of consumer apps that have been popping up recently that um, that sort of deal with like purchases. So like one of the apps uh, that is built on Context.io that's like one of the most successful people um, or apps is called Paribus. And essentially you just hook it up to your email and it just listens for purchases. And then if there's a price drop within the guarantee window, it'll um, apply for a refund automatically for you. So then it literally just like gets you money. And that's something that I feel like a lot of people don't realize that you can do with email data is like a lot of people use it. Like you pretty much have to use it if you're buying anything online. So there's a lot of data you can do with that. Um, Specifically, there's an app that I want to build. I just haven't had time to do it uh, to manage like tickets that I buy. Because sometimes I'll go, I'll buy like a ticket for a concert and then I forget about it. (laughs) Which I know, how do you forget about it? But sometimes it happens to me and I'm like, oh, crap, I bought Weird Al tickets. I yeah. totally wasn't expecting that. So, like, if if there was an app that could connect to my email and then, like, two weeks before the show kind of right. remind me, hey, don't forget, you bought these tickets. Um, yeah, so kind of stuff like that. Yeah, I like, yeah, love an app like that. That would just, you know, because sometimes they, they send you, sometimes it would be nice if... Uh, like I buy tickets for an event and then I show up and I'm like before I leave, like, oh, do I print them out? Is it will call? I don't know. Yeah. I forgot. It's been a while. So it's uh yeah, and with plus being Austin being like music capital yeah. of the world, you can have access to a lot of shows. So I can see how you know that, that app would be very very useful in this town. Sometimes I totally will see like someone's playing and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have to get tickets and then I'm like like in the heat of the moment, you're like, this is a great idea. And then you just completely forget about it. And then like it comes up and you're like, I really want to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that ever happens to other people. Yeah. 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 There's been some shows like, oh, I really want to go. And then the day comes like it's, it's raining out there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to stand for that. Austinites hate rain. <laughs> well, like um, there's. It was a story where like ACL got rained out and destroyed the uh, uh, the lawn for ACL. Like, like oh, yeah, and then Lionel Richie did like a private party. Mm-hmm. Well, this is years and years before. Like, was, like oh, okay. Ari, what was that? Ari, like, yeah, 2010 ish. Yeah, yeah. So like 2010, like it got um, they had just put new sod on, and then they got, and then the rain came with all these people and it just got just wiped away. It was terrible. So that was awesome. It was awesome that way. So. <laughs> but yeah, we don't like rain that way. So, okay. yeah. But, but uh, if we liked rain, we lived in Portland. We're <laughs> yes. the uh, Sahara Desert of Portland. <laughs> cool. 
so so that's where you are now. Like, so when did you get uh, into web stuff? Like, like when did you decide to? Uh, probably like um, I want to say like two thousand four. Two thousand four. Okay. Um. So my my brother, uh, my older brother, is also a programmer, but he was a webmaster. He started coding when he was like sixteen, and he was a webmaster back when like being a webmaster was still like you know a title kind of like that title kind of went by the wayside but you know he used to do that sort of thing so I would I would watch him make websites and just be like whoa this is magic and then once I got to college uh around 2004 I was a media major and I started making cartoons like um it's kind of a roundabout way, <laughs> but I started like uh, creating characters in Photoshop and then animating them in After Effects. And then Flash came along back when it was Macromedia Flash. And I started making animations that way and then realized that you could also use it to make websites. And then all of a sudden, all of this new world popped up that I didn't even think about. And I started making websites in Flash I'm so sorry. <laughs> Please don't hate me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I was one of those people that was making really fancy buttons in Flash. Uh, and then after that, you know, once you, like, get to the point where, like, you've done everything you can in Flash and you really need to learn some HTML because, like, there's some limitations to that, uh, right? So then I started uh, learning HTML and CSS, and that's kind of how I got into it. Okay. So... In college, like, even though I was a media, like, media major, like, film, TV, radio, um, the first thing that I always did in all of my projects was, like, make a website for whatever it is that I was doing. <laughs> um, so, a little bit of new media and old media. So, so what, what, what do you mean, like, what, like, what type of websites would you make what, for what projects? So, like, for example, uh, here's a neat one. Uh, I took a Japanese New Wave class uh, during film school. And for our final project, we needed to prove, uh, like, look at a period of uh, time and talk about how it is, new, how, how it could be considered new wave um, or influenced by the Japanese new wave or French new wave. And what I did was uh, write a paper on how Monty Python's Flying Circus could be considered new wave because of all of the sort of like postmodernist. Uh, stuff that they did on their show and clearly uh, if you look at the timeline you can definitely see like there's there's definitely some influence from like a lot of the the stuff that the French New Wave people were doing uh, and like all how they handle the cuts and how they handle like all of the almost like dreamlike um, transitions from one skit to the next um, so that was that's what I wrote a paper on and instead of actually like writing a paper because it was I felt like you know, this is this is film theory. I need to be able to show you clips, and this is before YouTube was a thing. So I would make a I made an interactive paper, like I made a web page for that, and I embedded QuickTime videos. And again, this is before YouTube, so I was having to like rip the clips that I wanted from the DVD, encode it, and then host it somewhere, and figure out like what's the best way to get someone to watch it. And I had to learn all about compression and like streaming versus not streaming video and all of that stuff. Um, so 
that's that's one of the examples where like I kind of went all out and I was like, I'm not writing a paper. I'm going to make an interactive little like web page. Did anyone tell you to do like? No. <laughs> I was like, can I can I do this? And my teacher was like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I don't think he thought I could do it. Oh, really? Why is that? Because I was. I, you don't typically do that when you're a film major, at least at the time. It was still like, you know, now you can, you know, get a Tumblr page, you can get a WordPress page up. But, you know, at that time, um, it wasn't even that long ago. But, you know, if you wanted to get something up, it, you would probably have to code it yourself. Um, yeah, there was, there was, this was certainly before Tumblr was kind of a thing. So I think that's why it wasn't so, like, prevalent to be just like, oh, just put a website up. Right. So... Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, because a lot of times, like a lot of people who were the first pioneers of like video, they they didn't uh, um, they didn't have a YouTube, so they didn't they just yeah they just put on a web host. So I mean, it was terrible back then. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's something now. I'm not really sure what it is. I don't know, but I'm not sure it's great right now. But uh, yeah, just just big burn, big shade to all YouTubers out there. But uh, anyway, <laughs> but. Um, Cool. So, so you you're a film major. You're you know, your media major. Yeah. And so, what does media major in college like? Like, so you just study film or? Yeah. So, um, I went to the UT Radio TV Film Program. So I was an RTF major, um, and you can sort of choose to specialize. You can specialize in film or TV or radio. I mostly did um, TV and film. Um, so while I was in college, I pretty much tried to get my hands on any sort of internship that I could. So I interned um, with the Austin Film Festival. I volunteered for South by um, building up their 35 millimeter prints back when they still had some like 35 millimeter stuff. I think now they're all digital. Um, and I was a PA on like a Discovery Channel, one of those like monster moves shows where they move a house. What was a PA? Uh, so PA that, production PA? assistant. Okay, so what does that mean? Uh, it just means pretty much like do whatever we tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll pay you very little, but you get this, you know, some some filming under your belt. And that was kind of excruciating. Uh, and then I, I was an intern at the Weinstein Company uh, like? during the... What was that? How was that like? Uh, it was very interesting. It actually made me realize that I didn't want to be in that business. Um, and that's, that's not to throw shade at the wine scenes, uh, at all. I, I actually, I'm a huge fan of them. Um, but it kind of made me realize that like the, the film industry that like I loved so much was so behind. This wasn't like, I was about to graduate in 2008. It was right in the middle of the writer's strike, I don't know if you recall, like all the writers were, you know, on strike because they wanted to get more royalties for digital video. Um, so they pretty much shut down a lot of of the work. Yeah. Um, so I was there during that time. And uh, I remember I, I, you might find this funny. Uh, I was there during like specifically to help cover all of the summer film festivals and the first film festival was Cannes and essentially what they wanted me to do is 
watch for all of the reviews coming out because we would forward the good reviews, like what should we buy? We would forward those to Harvey Weinstein. And then the, we would also be looking for like the reception for the movies that we were there with. And when my boss was showing me how to do it, quote unquote, she had a browser window opened with a million tabs to all of these different news outlets. And I was like, you know, you can subscribe via RSS and then you don't have to do this. And she was just like, what? Like, I just blew her mind. And I was like, it's, this is, this is easy. (laughs) And then like, so I would, this is what they would make me do. I would have to go to all of those news outlets, print out all of the articles, then scan them into a PDF that we would send to the executives and we did this every day. And the there were like hundreds of pages that we sent. It was so dumb. I, I, <laughs> I totally believe it. So It was such a waste. And not only that, I had this like fantasy that like, oh, some somewhere Harvey Weinstein is sitting on his like PDA or whatever he uses, you know, in a robe, drinking some mimosa in like a rooftop and reading this like, report that I put together and then my boss was like he doesn't have a phone (laughs) so like they were printing this out they were printing him 150 page reports every day because he didn't have a phone apparently at that time I don't know if that has changed not trying to throw shade but I was like I just can't believe like this was 2008 like how do you not get with the program (laughs) Yeah, but he's li- he's living the dream though, right? He doesn't have oh, to absolutely. He doesn't have to worry about it, right? So he has like three assistants. Yeah, so he's just like, <laughs> he's just like, I have a, my own personal news editor <laughs> going through getting the news I want to hear. These are my apps, my assistants. Yes, so there you go. Um, so I just it just kind of made me feel like, man, I really love technology, and this industry that I love so much is like so backwards right now, mm-hmm. and just not embracing of technology at all, and. You know, all these writers are fighting because the industry doesn't understand how to even handle digital. And I think things have improved since, absolutely. But I think they still kind of don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, that goes to, like, well, it's it's kind of hard for, you know, industries to change the time. So, yeah. But, yeah, I remember that time because um, we have, like, Josh Whedon couldn't uh, get some projects done. So he did his own own projects and then I remember the Daily Show all the writers left and so it was like John Stewart was left to his own devices and Stephen Colbert was left yeah. to his own really just bad TV <laughs> absolutely no I, actually I think Dr. Horrible came out of yeah. that mm-hmm. Dr. Horrible yeah. yeah yep and now and then we've been waiting for Dr. Horrible 2 ever since <laughs> and all these writers are working it's just really terrible just <laughs> <laughs> Terrible well, um, there's a podcast I listen to called Script Notes with John August, mm-hmm. and he was talking a little bit about how, like, they, they do, like, um, talk about, like, um, I don't know, like, Writers Guild stuff, and they were going over, like, how much money they're making now out of residuals, and, like, apparently, like, they've actually seen, like, an increase for sure in, like, the digital residuals that they get. And yeah. Yeah, I didn't say, like, it was yeah. pretty interesting. I don't think that. Yeah, I'm not saying it wasn't worth it. I'm just saying that you know, we probably won't see a sequel to Doctor Who <laughs> until there's another strike. And so, 
Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Well, there's probably, there's probably, we're probably due for one pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> it is very interesting. I mean, just with YouTube and the news of this week, like, was um, some of the YouTubers got, I don't know if you read this one, but YouTubers were like, um, got not cease and desist emails, but we're talking about the popular YouTubers where they got emails saying that some of their videos will not be monetized because they weren't in, in line with uh, advertisers' uh, mm-hmm. philosophies. Not philosophies, but like YouTube's philosophies for advertisers. So if they say like something bad or they have a negative, you know, uh, not negative, but like you know, harsh, harsh words, is like, I don't want to say that, but just some oh, yeah. sort of news or news take or hot take that wasn't um, in line with what YouTube considers advertiser-friendly, that they're not going to be monetized anymore. And so, so they're essentially censoring the content. Well, I mean, it's it's one thing to censor it, but it's also YouTube's platform to do what they want, right? Yeah. So it's like they can own, they can get their own web host, right? So yeah, put YouTube up, but but that's not what you're on YouTube for, right? No. Mm-hmm. You're up there for exposure, so yeah. Like, if you didn't want exposure, you'd be on Vimeo. Ayo, <laughs> just kidding. Now, <laughs> just <laughs> kidding. I love Vimeo. Yeah. We love everyone. <laughs> so, um, so, okay, so, so going through, going through media major, you've interned for Weinstein's. Um, then I noticed in 2009, you're managing, you're, you're, you landed, you're managing clients, is that right? Uh, not quite in 2009. In 2009, my first job out of college was working at Electronic Arts. Yeah, Electronic uh, Arts, sorry. Most people were like, Oh, EA Sports. And I would always have to be like, they do other games. Do they? Do they? <laughs> do they? <laughs> yes. Uh, um, so so we're so, doing that EA? Um, I pretty much like all of that stuff, even though I wasn't, you know, a computer science major or anything like that. And at, especially at the time, you there wasn't like a degree for web. Uh, but all the stuff that I was doing, making websites and all that stuff, kind of got me this like entry level job uh, doing stuff on the EA support website. So I did everything under the sun, like you know, do QA for games and figure out like what's broken and how to fix it, so I could write articles on the for the website uh, to like tell people how to fix things. And I you know, did like some graphic design for them. Sometimes they'd be like, oh, hey, we need a new... At that time, they had a portal for each different brand. So, like, The Sims would have their own support website and um, Madden or whatever. Like, they had, like, they were all separated by brand. So, I would, like, uh, make mock-ups. Like, I made so many mock-ups for, like, different uh, portals uh, that we would have for, for the different brands. And then, like, right before I left, they decided to consolidate everything. So, all of those sites are, like, no longer uh, out there. Uh, but yeah, I, I just kind of did so much stuff. Um, and one of the things that kind of fell on my lap because it was like this social media thing was kind of new and they were like, Hey, you're kind of young and you're already on Twitter. Uh, can you like, uh, manage our social media? And I was like, sure. <laughs> so then all of a sudden I was a social media professional. Oh, wow. So what, what, <laughs> what type of accounts were in charge of for, on Twitter? Uh, I was in charge of ask EA support. Um, and mostly what I did is tweet out, like, you know, support um, articles. And if someone had an issue, then we would ask them to, like, submit a support ticket or, like, call in because we couldn't really, at the time, I don't know if it's changed, uh, but at the time we couldn't really, like, do 
support over Twitter because it wasn't like tracked and we wanted to track it. Okay. So it's pretty, pretty easy. Pretty easy. And it sounds pretty nice because like you did a whole lot of different things too. Like, like I always have a fear of being bored. So. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah so. I mean, and then also in terms of just being an entry level job, it was great because it got me a lot of just experience. Oh, I was going to say, like, I remember, like, right after I graduated, they, like, uh, the RTF department I, apparently was, like, calling all the graduates and figuring out if they had jobs. <laughs> and uh, the person that interviewed, that was talking to me was like, you have a job? Like, all I've been talking to all these graduates from RTF and they don't have jobs and it makes me so sad. And I was like, no, I'm employed. I'm just, you know, not doing film. But... <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it's funny because, like, all of my bosses after that uh, for, I don't know, the next, like, three jobs all were also RTF majors that were, do- that were working in tech. So it's – we kind of bonded over that. So how long were you at the Electronic Arts? I was there for a year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, loved, uh, I loved working there and I loved the video game industry. Uh, just it, – it, I don't know. It feels – good to be a part of something like that Uh, but I don't know at the time for what I was doing I was severely underpaid Um, so I kind of had to just go look for a better opportunity yeah and then uh, so where would you go after that Uh, I got a marketing job at Dell as a result because um, a lot of what I was doing at EA was very relevant to to what I ended up doing at Dell. So like at EA, I would write articles and then help a lot of the different like uh, websites from uh, different locales uh, localize the content and then put it up online. So like Russia and Sweden and Brazil and Italy and all those places would like localize the content I wrote. And I would sort of like help them put it up online and kind of like give it a thumbs up. So that kind of gave me like localization experience. And, you know, Dell being a global brand, uh, they really liked that. So I went on to work on their, like, marketing department, doing a lot of the stuff for, like, their global um, channel brand, the partner direct brand. It was like, whoa. (laughs) Going from, like, working at EA to working at Dell, even though, like, I don't know, probably EA has a lot more notoriety. Like, Dell was, like, just completely different, just corporate Mm -hmm. calls with like someone in Hong Kong and London and um, Geneva and Argentina and Mexico City and Round Rock. <laughs> yeah. So so how so how do you cope with that? That changes. I don't know. Um, did I? I kind of started smoking at that time. No okay. joke. Uh, <laughs> not great. Um, but um, yeah. <laughs> how very European. That's very nice. Actually. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it was, I, it was a very interesting experience. And again, like, I got a lot of experience just in a year. I did so much because it's like one of those things where like you, I was essentially hired to do three jobs and it was just go, go, go all the time. But it kind of, it kind of gave me a leg up on my next job, which was, uh, working on the agency side because part of my job at Dell was managing agencies. Well, not managing the agency, but like managing a lot of the projects that we had with agencies. So I was like, oh, this is like a thing that I can do. Yeah. 
So, so when you talk about managing agencies, what does that mean? Uh, like, for example, um, we had an agency of record, and then they would work on us on campaigns. So, for example, we had a campaign to sell, I don't know, uh, latitudes uh, for our you know channel partners in whatever region, and they would sort of like take us through like the whole light. Um, campaign life cycle so like here are the mock-ups for the website and here's the copy and here's the copy for the newsletter and here's the mock-up for the newsletter and do you approve yes or i have changes okay then they go and do that and just kind of managing all of that and seeing it from like the beginning of the campaign to the end of the campaign whenever we would like send out you know if we sent out an email blast and then created a landing page and then all of that stuff just kind of managing that the work is getting done and that it's meeting our expectations. Okay. So you're managing a lot of different agencies that would you man? I guess you would handle a lot of different agencies for one campaign, or would you just handle? We got yeah different agencies for different campaigns. Like was it just? Yeah, we actually did. Uh, I had we had like an agency of record for like most of our digital stuff, and then we had an agency for like all of our email, and then we had a different agency for um, some of the other more like complicated stuff. Uh, yeah, there were there was essentially an agency behind a lot of the different components of like what made our whole like ecosystem like run. Um, so I, at one point, I counted like seven different agencies that I was sort of like working on a project with at any given time. Wow, that's that's a lot of agencies. It's uh, very mad men. A lot of a lot of phone calls, a lot of email. <laughs> oh God, I was on calls all the time. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you know. Cool. <laughs> and so you decided to, like, how long were you at at Dell then? Uh, a year. A year. Okay, and then you decided to to do what? Uh, I decided to go the agency route, um, and this is not to throw shade at anybody, but I was like, man, like, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, Sorry, um, I'm well-versed in tech. I can, I can speak that language. I want to work at a digital agency so that I can be a good communicator between, like, the developers and the designers and the client because I felt sometimes, like, I was sort of managing expectations with the agencies and with my boss. So I was like, from the client side, I was managing expectations on both ends. And I was always kind of having to like play translator and explain why certain things, you know, explain to my boss on the client side, like why this couldn't be done. And then explain to the agency why it needs to be done or like whatever, you know. Um, So I was kind of this translator person and I felt like, oh, maybe, maybe I can have a good impact if I go and do this on the agency side so that I can do a good job setting client expectations and, you know, make my team happy. Like, I don't know, that's, that's kind of what I set out to do. Uh, And and I started working at Springbox, uh, which is a digital agency here in town as an account executive. Um, And that was, uh, I mean, that was just, you know, the full agency sort of experience. And and was that what what you expected it to be like like talking to agencies and doing yeah. with your internal staff about um, yeah a little bit yeah. um, did you quit smoking at this time yes <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry to ask that question I was just joking yes <laughs> no no actually like it's kind of like one of those things where like oh okay like I'm happy at my job like I'm not stressed all the time uh, it, yeah um, 
so it, I mean, it was definitely like, I, I found myself like sometimes in the conference room in this like swanky, super awesome office in the middle of downtown Austin. Cause like the, the old Springboks office used to be right across the street from the Paramount. So it was like the, just this beautiful office. And I would find myself like, you know, in one of the meetings, just kind of looking around me and just being like, can I like pinch myself? I can't believe that. Like I'm doing this. That's a beautiful part of downtown Austin, yeah. Yeah. And apparently, like, one of one of our conference rooms was called Knoxville because apparently when they were shooting um, the Jackass movie or mm-hmm. some movie, I don't know, um, Johnny Knoxville stayed. Um, like, it used to be, like, a, a loft, and he stayed there. Mm. So it was, like, infamous. <laughs> you say so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um... Cool. Yeah. So, stream box, and so that's pretty awesome. That's a nice, like, organic transition from there. So, and then how long? And you're not at Spring box right now. So, like, how like? Oh yeah. So, so when did you transition? Like, when was your next? So, and I, I hate to say it, but like after a year, yeah, <laughs> I really. moved, and I, like it's almost like this pattern that like honestly it was inadvertent. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm the type of person that like if I find a place and I love it, like I'm just gonna stay there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, like what happened like about three months into my job there, um, the owners decided to sell the agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for a while, you know, my job was uncertain. Um, so I, in that meantime. Uh, close to the time when, like, they had a deadline by the time that they had to sell the agency, like, for sure. Um, so I ended up um, talking to Ford Kitchens, which is also another sort of digital agency in town. Um, and they had a position open, and they just, I, I already sort of had a relationship with them because I had applied for a job earlier uh, and made top two and not get it, but. They, they liked me, they remembered me, and I ended up bumping into um, who later became my boss at a Refresh Austin uh, Austin Web Bash Christmas party. <laughs> and he was like, hey, we're going to be hiring in a few months. Are you available? And I was like, I might just be because I don't know what the deal is with the, this sale. And um, it just kind of worked out. I went over there. Cool. Yeah, and then... Um uh, yeah, Refresh Austin is like the biggest one, biggest refresh I've ever attended. It's also the biggest one. Yeah. Uh, monthly. It's also like every regularly monthly, uh, just not, I won't say generic, but just general. But it's like you have to talk mm-hmm. to developers and designers each, almost each, each month. But it's also like the most well attended one each month. And then. I'm pretty sure, like other or other refreshes are bigger, but uh, uh, but none is cooler. Um, <laughs> and then also the refresh uh, bash, the Christmas bash or the holiday bash, whatever, is probably like um, I don't know. It's like one of the most nice, cool things I've seen a tech community ever do. I think that's pretty yeah, cool. yeah. And uh, and it takes a lot of work to organize all that stuff like that too. But like all, all the meetups in town, you guys try to coordinate one day or. In, December and just try to get everyone together and just pretty, it's pretty cool. And also make, you know, donations to, to charity. Uh, yeah. Like that's something that, um, started, um, it was actually, uh, to give cre- credit what credit is due. Uh, the first sort of joint holiday party was between refresh Austin and Austin on rails. Mm-hmm. Um, and bringing in canned food was Damon's idea. 
uh, Damon runs Austin on Rails um, here in Austin. Damon um, is... Sales, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was his idea. And then the next year, well, we decided to partner with um, the WordPress mm-hmm. meetup here in town. I don't know. Is it Austin WordPress or yeah, WordPress right. ATX? Um, WordPress Austin is fine. Or ATX. Yeah. So anyway, the Austin WordPress. And uh, we partnered with them. And then um, that was all before my time. When I started uh, organizing Refresh Austin, that was like when we decided to do like a bigger outreach to all the meetups. And we ended up getting like, I don't know, 13 meetups or something. And then the next year it was like 23. And then the next year it was like way like <laughs> so many more. Uh, so it just it's been like snowballing since then. But that that idea of like, let's try to do something for charity mm-hmm. um, that kind of started with with Damon at Austin on Rails. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's like one year it was like uh, it was like bring canned foods. And, and then the next and year, that was such like, a mess. no, we're not doing that again. That's, we have to so much, oh, so many yeah. cans that we can't do it again. Okay. And especially when it was just three meetups, it was doable. But yeah. then, like, that was the year where, like, it exploded. Yeah. So it was, like, this huge line to try to get in. And it was because we were all, like, trying to get all the cans and, like, put them up. And, uh, yeah, it was after that, it was just, like, you can prepay, <laughs> you can pre-donate, <laughs> or you can donate at the door. Right. So. Cool. So, uh, just uh, yeah. So, anyway, so definitely, if you're in town for Austin, definitely check out Refresh. Um, but just to get back to Four Kitchens, so that's when I first met you. We were working at Four yeah. Kitchens, and uh, how was how was that like? I loved it. I worked there for three years, and uh, I again kind of did everything under the sun almost. Um, I was hired to do sort of like community management at first um, because uh, one of the tenants of Four Kitchens is um, like open source contributions. So they're very big on contributing back to open source, whether that's code or whether that's like thought leadership or, you know, uh, putting together events or speaking at events. Like that is like the community aspect is very important to the company. Um, So I started off just sort of like doing community management for them um, slash office manager because that's what they were really hiring for. Uh, But it was like, okay, this is what we're really hiring for, but we want you for all of these other things. So can you do both? And I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that sort of like community management aspect grew into more of a like marketing director role. So I just started doing a lot of like – First of all, like coming up with like a marketing plan of like how do we market the company? What do we want to do not just this year, but where do we want to be in like five years? Because that's going to dictate like how you how you market yourself, mm-hmm. um, what you talk about, things like that. Um, so I started doing all of that, and that bled into eventually after a few years uh, into business development. So everything that I was doing for marketing grew the demand for the company then all of a sudden I was writing proposals I was flying to meet with clients I was you know doing pitches um so it it was kind of a weird progression (laughs) um but yeah I I got to do all that and a lot of that is because you know it's it is it, it was a fairly small company at the time so you were sort of free to like explore where you wanted to go and like my my specific role kind of had that progression so where did you want to go? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was just kind of doing what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and that's kind of what guided me. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, by that time, I was feeling a little bit like this is not really what I want to be doing mm-hmm. uh, with my life. <laughs> that sounds so sad. But it was just like sometimes your job, like you can be really good at something and it pulls you away from what you really want to do. Okay. Um, that's kind of what happened. Yeah, so let's explore that. That's like that's really what I want to go to. So yeah, so so you're marketing. You you you've pretty much just you know you've been a manager uh, for managing expectations, mm-hmm. managing agencies, managing uh, web teams. You know, so you've been managing a lot of things, and so you, now you discover that's not what you want to do. And so what, yeah. what was that like? Like what was that discovery like? Um. So since I started like my career in tech, I was like doing actually building things. Uh, But I just kind of fell into this like social media position, which grew into marketing, grew into managing clients and grew into all of these other things that it never that I never really intended to go that way. It just sort of like happened and I went with it. And really what I always wanted to do was make things. Um, like just that's, that's the reason I even went to, you know, film school or whatever, you know, to learn how to make media. Uh, and I, that was a huge thing that was missing in my life was just making things. Um, and I was just talking about making things. <laughs> and that, yeah, that was definitely not where I wanted to, to just do and you know day in and day out i wanted to produce content and just yeah have have more like that sense of accomplishment when you can actually like finish something uh, was was kind of that was a little bit lost because when you're doing marketing even though you may be done with an event or you may be done with a campaign okay what's next you don't you don't like that sense of i finished this is so Fleeting, that you know, it just never feels like you're done. Yeah, it's sort of like a hamster wheel. Like you're always on the hamster wheel, just keep on going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel it's like, well, it's kind of weird because, like, with web projects, you never, they're never really done either. Yeah. So I'm not. So it's kind of like a, I don't know, I'm not really sure. I, I see the difference. I guess. I guess I can see with with managing projects, I can see like, okay, I'm done with this, but then. Are you just looking for a different type of project? Is that it? Like building something different? Is that the idea? Yeah, mostly like, uh, for example, that sense of accomplishment when you finish a feature, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay, this is done. <laughs> and I can I can take this ticket in Jira and put it in the done column and it feels so good. <laughs> that is the sort of like accomplishment, like doneness that like was kind of missing okay. from from my sort of, I guess, work. Right. Yeah, because like with dealing with the management and, and clients, it's, it's like, it's a slow burn, right? It, it, I always mm-hmm. feel like it's like, if I need to, it is a slow, t- it's dealing with people is, is I'm dealing with people, it's managing people or, or building consensus, if you will, is probably a better word. Yeah. Is a, it's a slow burn. You know, like you, it's a mm-hmm. slow process and you have to get consensus like that and, um, so yeah, I definitely see that where it's like, if you're building something, you're just like, it's you and the keyboard and, mm-hmm. and how many, um, how much, uh, fossil fuels yep. power to the laptop, <laughs> you know, in the internet before you can get that. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. So 
so how did you realize that? Like, like I mean, the, you talked about like you realized that that's what you want to do, but like, I mean, because like, your whole entire, I, just, you know, I don't want to dwell too much, but I just want to see if there was like, was there some moment you're like, oh, this, it just snapped, or like, or just you just yeah. figured out like, you just dawned on you, like, well, like, did it dawn on you, or just it just come like, you know? There was totally a moment. Um, I was at a conference, um, and I was leading a roundtable of other marketing executives like myself. And there was a guy, and at the, at the time, my title was director of marketing. And um, I was sitting next to a guy from like a competing agency, and his title was VP of marketing. So like instantly, I'm like, oh, that's that's the next step for me. And like just the way he talked about his job and like, oh, yeah, you know, he was like throwing around all of these figures and throwing around all of these like your name dropping clients and like all of this like ter- like sales terminology, very like salesy terminology that just kind of make me, it just kind of made me feel like, <laughs> if, is that next? Cause I, that's not what I want. Mm. And I, like at that time, even though I was leading around table, I was like, do not want, <laughs> this is not where I want to go. Okay. Um, so that's kind of, that was like my moment. Yeah, because it's never. Um, I was a. Uh, I had a similar moment when I was an editor at my local newspaper, and but I was editor of the TV um, weekly edition, right? So like you get your newspaper on Sunday, um, which was a big deal for me because I love TV growing up, but uh, but like by you know like you become a student in high school like whatever, and whatever, and so I became an editor. Uh, my home, uh, my homeschool news, uh, my home, not my like my not my my hometown newspaper before I was twenty one, I was like, oh, that's awesome, like it's so cool, but it's the TV journal, and I was really excited about it, and then because I was in charge of the layout, in charge of what articles we put into it, making sure everything else, all the TV schedules were were done and printed on time, so it could go in the Sunday edition, and then uh, so some guy comes up to to my desk. And, um, oh, the other cool thing was like, it was mostly my domain. Like no one was like really told me what to do. I just had to make sure everything gets done. And so some guy comes up to me, he's like, oh, so do you like TV? I was like, no, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I just like editing and managing this, this project. I was just like, yeah. It's like, I, I really don't know what's next after this, but I know it's not TV. So, <laughs> like, it's like, that's the moment I was like, no, I really don't want to be here anymore. But, uh, <laughs> But I did like the job. Anyone who's listening from my hometown, cool. So, so what did you do after that, after you realized that's not what you wanted? Um, uh, so concurrently, while I was doing all this marketing stuff, I was helping out uh, with the local chapter of Girl Develop It. Um, so I, while I was doing marketing for my day job, I still kept you know kept up with my HTML and CSS and responsive web design and all that stuff. Um, so I was sort of like teaching on the weekends. Um, teaching things like HTML and CSS or teaching intro to responsive design. Um, and that's kind of where I felt I was getting the most fulfillment. Um, and that's kind of when that when I realized that that's what I would much rather be doing. Like, I, I, I had spent too much time on the fringes of tech, talking about, like, features, talking about, like, what we're going to do, what we're going to build, never getting to build it. And I kind of realized that that's what I wanted to do. Um and by this point, I had been working for about six years in tech. Um, and part of my my 
job uh, once I was doing like director of marketing stuff uh, in business development was uh, putting together like strategy plans for clients. So I would, you know, get to meet with, you know, client X and then I would put together a plan of like what we would build for them and like solving sort of that Lego problem, putting together like this like idea of like what's the website going to do. Um, that's also something where I, you know, got a lot of fulfillment, figuring out like how to solve the problem for the client. Um, but again, I didn't get to build it. So I, I, I kind of knew like I, I had a lot of experience on like how to solve problems. I was just missing the actual doing it part. Yeah, the how to? Yeah. <laughs> so um, so I decided that like, okay, I definitely want to be a developer now um, and actually get to uh, work on solving the problems that I always talk about. <laughs> um, and um, I started taking part-time online classes uh, to learn JavaScript um, so and you, then, so where'd you go for learning? Um, yeah, there was, there's a program, um, called thinkful, uh, that's thinkful.com. Okay. Yeah. And it's sort of like this mini online web development school, uh, that you sort of do at your own pace. And I did their front end development program, even though like the HTML and CSS, I already knew I was doing it for the JavaScript and but because it's like you know go at your own pace i flew through the first portion and then like got to the javascript part um and it was a 3 month program and it was supposed like you do again you do it at your own pace so i could do it in the evenings after i got out of got off work and it was something like at the time it was like $300 a month and the program was supposed to it was like take as long as you want but you'll be done in 3 months right um and I was on in four <laughs> because uh, just, you know, the the context switching between like your day job and then going to try to learn something yeah. uh, at night. Like it's it can be a little bit just it's, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes like your brain, like I, I remember I would like try to read through um, an assignment and just my brain was just not absorbing it. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so I did that, and then after that, I realized, like, yeah, I can't, I really can't do, you know, the part-time stuff. I, I could do it, but it's going to be much slower. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted to just dedicate the time to learning the skills that I was missing, which for me were back-end skills. Um, so I, um, I realized I had enough saved up to live for a few months, and I quit my job, went to the Iron Yard, and did their... Um, Rails engineering program, learned me some backend stuff, and now I'm, uh, yeah, my title is assistant or associate software engineer, and I'm like engineer. I don't <laughs> really. That's that's my title. Okay. Um, so why Rails? Why not? Um, I uh, the community for me is really important. Um, so when I was working at Four Kitchens. Um, we were doing PHP and Drupal, mm-hmm. um, so I was I was part of that community, and I enjoyed the community aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, made a lot of friends in that community, mm-hmm. and loved it. But personally, I um, wasn't really 
interested in doing that sort of development. Um, I, I, it's not that I wasn't interested in it. It's just that I wanted to learn something else because I had been doing that for three years. Like I, I was in that space for three years. And I, I was like, I kind of want to learn something else, kind of like, I don't know, just to have something different under my belt. Um, and I, I was interested in Ruby. I did a little bit of research and I felt like this, I like this language is very readable. Um, and I decided to go to keep Ruby weird, uh, which is a conference here in Austin. And I went there not knowing absolutely a lick of Ruby. <laughs> I was just like, I'm just going to go there and see if I like it. And I absolutely loved it. I love the community. Just, right. it's like, seriously, it's just one of the most amazing, just friendly, funny communities um, so, for example, one of the um, maintainers of Rails, his name is Aaron Patterson. You know, he's kind of a kind of a big deal in the in the world of, of Rails. And obviously, you know, here I was attending this this Ruby conference, not obviously not knowing who he is and not knowing anybody in the community. And he gets up there and gives a keynote with like this like lab code and this like mullet wig and he's just essentially his whole talk is about his cats <laughs> and it, it was the most amazing thing <laughs> um and I was just like I want to be a part of this community like everybody knows his cats and it's a thing and there's like all these jokes and like I don't know there was there was something about it that I found really just welcoming and I just, just wanted to be a part of it so um that's I don't know that finding the right community was important for me and I, I felt like I had found that in in the Ruby community. Nice. Well, the community is important. The culture yeah. is important too. So you, you went through the course um, the course to learn um, Ruby on Rails and how, how was that like? What was that like? Like what, what type of shift? Like how, how was that from going from from working to being a student full time again? Uh-huh. Um, it was interesting because at first, the first week I pretty much treated it like a job. Yeah. I was like, got in there, did my coding. And again, the first week was all HTML and CSS. I was just like, you know, blowing through it, helping other people. Like this is, been doing this for 10 years, but 10 years or longer by that time. Um, so I was, yeah, it's a little bit like, kind of treating it like a job and but then once we started like actually like learning Ruby uh, and learning all like everything that constitutes you know being a back-end developer like learning all about databases and database design and learning about like um, programming principles and all of that stuff all of a sudden I was like whoa <laughs> it was like student mode kind of like popped in and all of a sudden it was just kind of I became a sponge and I just tried to absorb as much as I could so like yes so student mode just meant like (laughs) late eating pizza or was it yeah we well and it's also um the iron yard is uh here in Austin it's located um in a um sort of like a, a complex where there's a restaurant called opal divines which is like a kind of like a diner and uh, we would go there all the time. <laughs> but again, like, I was living off of my savings, so and I didn't want my savings to run out. So I was kind of back at, like, being a scrappy college student. 
So I would like, okay, what's the cheapest thing I can get on the menu? Nachos for like $6. Okay. And then if I go there on this time, I can get like a $2 beer. So I can like get nachos and a $2 beer and it's $8 and plus tip. Golden. <laughs> yeah. So, so you were student pretty much. So, okay. cool. Yeah, I pretty much reverted to like being, you know, in that sort of like college, starving college student mode. What type of projects did you work on while you were in learning Ruby? Like uh, what we that? did a ton of to-do lists because, okay. <laughs> like, for some reason, like, teachers love uh, to-do lists because, I mean, it's like, you know, it teaches you, like, what's called a crowd operation, you know, create, read, update, delete, right? Um, so they, yeah, they, there was a week where we had to do, like, three different to-do lists, but, like, each one was, like, using, like, a different sort of principle, um, like for, I think the first one was like, okay, you're reading off of a CSV. Oh no. The first one was like, it's a to-do list on just completely on the command line. And then the second one was like, it, this one is a to-do list on a Rails app, but you're reading off of CSV. And then the third one was like, okay, now this is a to-do list on a Rails app, but with a database. <laughs> so it was a little silly. Um, we did a lot of games. Like for example, when we first started, we were doing like a Ruby based tic-tac-toe, we did a Ruby-based uh, Blackjack, which was, like, the hardest uh, project that I did that I actually didn't even finish. Um, but it was just one of those things where, like, it's okay if you don't finish. Just, you know, give us what you have, and we'll talk through it. We'll, like, you know, we'll get you going again. And as long as you, you're putting in the work and you – once we go through the solution together, like, you know, making sure that you go back and can show that you understand the concepts and stuff. So, like, yeah, the – that that darn blackjack project I did not finish, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of stuff like that. Cool. And then, um, so those are some of the projects you did. So, so how was finding a uh, a job after that, after going through those courses? Oh, I, was, I, mean, I understand. Just so, just so people know, like, so you went to uh, the school, learn um, Ruby on Rails, and it was like a nine month course, or yeah, it's a twelve week, yeah, twelve week course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. So, so that's three months, right? <laughs> so boot camp, if you will. And yeah. uh, so after three months, like, what did you do? Like, like were you looking for work? Were you looking to oh, supplement Ruby or knowledge? Or um, It was interesting how much, like, freelance work just, like, floated my way. Yeah. Like, I wasn't even looking for it, and I still had some savings left over, so I wasn't, like, in a rush to get a new job. But um, I was a little bit, like... I can't do freelance and apply for jobs at the same time because, you know, when you're applying for jobs as a developer, you're doing all these code challenges and they really do take hours. So, like, I would be like, okay, I'm working on this code challenge for this job and I'm working on this other code challenge for this other job and doing freelance on top of that. I was like, no. Um, I did end up getting, like, a marketing freelance client, um, where I was doing some like marketing and technical writing for them. And that worked out really well because all of a sudden I had like all this knowledge uh, that was very technical and I was able to, you know, help out with their, with their needs. Uh, But it was a little bit of like a change of pace from like the coding that I was doing, you know, for all the code challenges and stuff. So like, I would say like, that's, that was the biggest difference. Like when I first graduated college and I was looking for a job, it was pretty much like, I don't know. Just you know, send you you send in your resume and then hope that they call you. Yeah. <laughs> and now as a developer, it's like you send in your resume and then you 
do a call and then you do a code challenge and then you go whiteboarding and then like there's like all of these other hoops that you gotta jump <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's really weird it's well it's kind of interesting like you know as an intern you, it's like they just want you to do or production assistant they just need yeah a warm body just like hey mm-hmm. do this and so but with our industry it's like you could say you know how to code but then you, they have to like prove that you know how to code and so you have to have, like walk in there and make sure you do it so so how, how were those like the white, what oh, is a whiteboard? Because yeah. I've, I've, I've heard different types of whiteboard. What was your experience with the whiteboard? Uh, it was terrible. Yeah. I think that we should, as, 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 a, um, as an industry, we should do without it. Just do away with it completely because that's not how you code. Um, I feel like, uh, to me at least, you know, coding is, like, I don't know, like, I think that your brain gets gets used to a certain environment and that environment um, sort of reinforces what you're doing and it gets the right parts of your brain lit up. Um, so I was, I was actually listening to a podcast. I don't remember which one because I listened to so freaking many. Um, I think it was Invisibilia. And they were doing, um, on NPR, uh, and they were doing a uh, study on like, you know, for example, telling people, hey, this is a doctor's coat, made them perform um, tasks at a, I don't know, faster, more efficient, smarter way. Like, it made them sort of, like, act smarter. And when they told people, this is a painter's code, they didn't see the same results. Oh, wow. Um, so, again, I feel like a lot of it is, like, depend, like it's dependent on the circumstances. So when you're coding, you're you're used to a certain sort of environment. You're used to being on your computer, you know, this dark screen uh, that's, you know, very fit for reading code uh, and writing code. And you are, you you know, that you have the knowledge of the world at your fingertips, right? Uh, You can Google pretty much anything you want. And like that, that's how you code. Right. Yeah. And it's not a whiteboard. And be like, yeah, I feel like all of a sudden being in that situation where you're looking at a whiteboard with a dry erase marker and you have to solve a problem, I feel like the, I don't know if, if it happens to everybody, but at least for me, the same parts of my brain that light up when I'm like coding in my environment, you know, they, they, they're not there when I'm whiteboarding. Yeah. It's so completely disconcerting. Yeah. It just, uh, definitely it takes, takes you out of the loop uh, for it. Cause uh, I don't think I, I know many people who, uh, they they have this meta conversations with other people about how they code you know they might ha- they have conversations about like problems that they call they, they, they're running into or 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 kind of funky things but like not in terms of like starting from point a to point you know point b mm-hmm. trying to solve all the whole entire problem set it's it's really weird so like if you want to talk about like annoying problems that you're having coding that might be one thing but but uh, but just not being able to like have google yeah while you're trying to look up something like that so yeah and and one of the things you you don't want to do is like you don't want to reinvent the wheel right so you go find solutions and even pair programming like i mean do you ever find yourself like just like just not knowing how to type when someone's watching you like (laughs) happens to me all the time and i'm like i swear i know how to type yeah yeah i mean (laughs) it's that halo effect right and like uh uh-huh it's you know it's different when people are are watching rather than uh, yeah okay cool 
well, what, the first time I did a whole like interview process for for a programming job, I actually converted it into a talk that I gave for like two years because <laughs> <laughs> the experience was like so like what just like yeah so not what we're, we're used to so so hopefully we'll this this podcast will will change how our industry works. I hope so. Point on is how it works. On. Cool. So um, and so so how are you? I'm not gonna put you under pressure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you how you like your job right now, but uh, but are you happy with uh, the the process, the, the metaphor, metamorphosis from yeah, management to absolutely. Um, you know, I actually want to do a talk about this because I feel like sometimes when you're doing the wrong job, you can be really unhappy and not even realize it. Um, so for even though I loved working at Four Kitchens and I loved everybody that I worked with it wasn't the right type of work for me. So I was becoming more and more depressed mm. and just stressed out and, you know, s- suffered from anxiety. Yeah. Um, I had to start seeing a therapist to like try to manage all of that. Oh, wow. uh, and then I realized like, I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing for me. Mm. Um, Cause really like, I feel like the right type of job for you depends on whether you're, an extrovert or an introvert, how you sort of like charge your just charge your batteries, I guess. Uh, and for me, um, putting on the event person face, the client facing face, like putting that on was very taxing. Um, so I was completely shutting down in my personal life because I spent all of my people energy like doing my job, like, cause I was, it was my job to be a people person. Um, I'm a people person in <laughs> office space. Um, but, uh, I was, you know, I was, I was spending all of my energy doing that. So in my personal life, I was completely shutting down, um, not doing anything, not talking to my friends, not, you know, you're barely talking to my partner. Um, and you know, as soon as I made this change, we're like, this change is, is right for me because I think that it gives me the right balance between like time on my own because I get to code and listen to some music while I do it and solve problems and like all of that stuff doesn't drain my battery in the way that all the client facing stuff did. So now I'm much, much happier in my personal life because my day job is not completely draining me. And now I'm, you know, back to talking to friends and, you know, being more social and have a better relationship with my partner and all that stuff. And I feel like a lot of that is just like realizing, are you doing the right job for you and your personality type? That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Well, they will say like, like I've only been to like a couple of your events that you put on during four kitchens and I love them both. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, I, and, yeah, sometimes, and I, I loved putting them on and yeah. all of that, like, I, I really did. It's just, like, when you're an introvert, and it, that's not to say that, like, oh, my God, if you see me out in the street, don't talk to me. Like, that's totally not not it. But, like, when you're an introvert, you sort of, like, it's almost like when you're getting ready for, like, you're going to go to a buffet so you don't eat, so you can eat more. <laughs> When you're an introvert, you kind of plan out, like, okay, I know I'm going to be at an event, so I'm going to take it easy in the, you know, days leading up to it so that I can have the energy to deal with, with that. Um, so, and when you when you do it all the time, you get, you then, yeah, fr- there's... You're, yeah, you're, 
<laughs> get freed out. And you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Man. And it's not that I don't enjoy it. It's just that I didn't have the time to turn it off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And recharge is very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for talking about your career. Yeah. I was really interested in in that. It's, it seems like it's, it's, a, it's been a great change for you. It's been awesome. So I'm glad about that. Because like, I just feel like it was interesting to go from to hear someone go from management to uh, to coding. Yeah, especially now, you know, I was my last title was, you know, director of marketing and now I'm an associate engineer. <laughs> yeah. Definitely like oops. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, I love it. I love the work that I do now and yeah, I definitely feel like sometimes you just gotta reset. Yeah. Cool. That's you know, that's a I don't think that's a that's a great way to stop the show on that reset button. Cool. Um, How can people find you on the internet and Sure. I am on Twitter uh, at Ceci Korea, C-E-C-Y-C-O-R-R-E-A. And that's mostly where I do all my outreach into the world. Uh, I do have a blog over at ceciKorea.com, uh, but haven't haven't blogged in a while. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> that's, okay. that's okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. 